boys are back in town. You're listening to Rob Mike Richards on Newstalk Saga 960. What? We just become best friends. Yup. You want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. It's Newstalk Saga 960. Raw Mike Richards. Here we are on what will be a very busy Thursday as we have a full lineup this morning. Uh, there's certainly lots to talk about, even including in our own area. Um, the uh, lockdown, the stipulations uh, from the Ontario government uh, has certainly been met with you know, some resistance. Uh, certainly Addison's Barbecue uh, down in Etobicoke uh, has decided that they will uh, take the the rulings head on and uh, for two days uh, you know sort of uh, i'm not sure exactly what the stand means like i we all understand how awful it is for the for the hospital hospitality industry uh i i don't know if just intimidating or going head to head with you know police officers or you know the government necessarily i i, I don't know if that's the way to go about it like i think we all understand the pain i just don't know how effective or really what the point is going to be at the end of the day, uh, it is sort of sad, but, uh, it is, uh, they are tur- turbulent times. There's no question about that. And there are a lot of people who are going to face some devastating news over this next period of time. So the, uh, I'd say, Dave, the, the, the biggest, aside from those kinds of things in the restaurant world, the, uh, there also, I see a lot on social media about the getting together at Christmas. This really seems to have hit a nerve with a lot of people. Thanksgiving, you know, there was certainly a reaction to it, but it, it hasn't been what this is. I mean, this is Christmas. This is a different kind of holiday, and um, I would suggest a much bigger one in terms of family. And there's been a lot of anger over that, too, over the numbers of people that you're supposed to be allowed to have at Christmas time. This seems to be uh, a little bit of a, a battleground as well. They, um, not overly surprising, uh, arguably the... You know, the biggest uh, family get together of the year. I know depending on uh, the age of birthdays, that's sometimes a big one. Easter is a big one, but Christmas is kind of like the consistent uh, main event of, of family gatherings, I guess you can call it. If, if, uh, you know, when people do celebrate it and so forth, but, uh, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just, you know, you connect the dots ABC if you, if you have, you know, eight, nine, ten people. In our case, our traditional Christmases are forty people. Right. Um, right. That's not remotely close to happening this year. It hasn't even been discussed. So, yeah, I guess there's different different people think different ways, right? And um, uh, that's kind of that's probably why we're in this situation because there is uh, such a split. I think the majority of people understand it. Uh, and I do too. Yeah. But, but it's, you know what, if, if you're only 90% and the 10% of the population still accumulates to be, you know, 50,000 people or whatever that works out to when you do the, the, the pie graphs, <laughs> as we're doing in my, uh, my daughter's grade two class. Um, are they, are they doing pie graphs? Pie graphs, yeah. line graphs. Yeah. Just, you know, charting, you know, like seven apples, eight apples, this, and then kind of dividing it. Yeah. It's, uh, Lots of fun. You combine art and math, right? Uh, but if you, if you actually combine it, you're looking at, you're looking at, uh, you know, 
small part of the population, but they're making the biggest amount of noise, right? They're making a lot of noise. And uh, sometimes I think they look ridiculous, I'll be honest, because we all understand it. No, no one wants to do this. You know, somehow there's this feeling that those on the other side look at, and, and I, I saw pictures and gifts of sheep, like we're stupidly going ahead, like we're, as they say, quote unquote, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. No, no, there's a, there's a, there's a huge difference, folks. One is, is trying to save the lives of everybody, including our parents, our grandparents, and, and the health and safety of everybody else. And the other one is just being blindly selfish, quite honestly, and risking the lives of, potentially risking the lives. You know, do, do you really want to roll the dice on that? And, 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 and if, and if you don't, or if you look at others because they don't want to take those kinds of risks, that is blindly following. I don't get your point. I really, I really don't. And, uh, and you're the reason. You are the reason that this, this lockdown crap is going to continue. Because if we all shut it down in a relatively, I don't say short period of time, but a controlled period of time, you get rid of this thing. No good? You don't want that? Okay. News Talk Saga 960 is the new home for Raw Mike Richards. Brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products. Also streaming live on saga960.ca. And now, from the Bell Lifestyle Studio, here's Mike and Dave. Saga 960, Raw, Mike Richards, along with David Bastel. Uh, and this morning, as uh, you probably saw on Twitter, a very busy, a very packed show here. Uh, and the one thing that, uh, upon passing of uh, Diego Maradona, the one thing that pro- might have shocked a lot of people, is he was 60. And I, I, I thought about it. I thought, no, 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 he, no, he's older than that. He's not 60. No, he was 60. So then you start doing the math on just how good he was at such a young age in the world presence. And if you saw the documentary that came out, what, about a year and, and some ago, it is a remarkable story because if you don't know it, and I think, you know, depending on how much of a footy person you are, but if you're North American and kind of only know hand of God, I think it was a lot more than that. And in fact, I think you'd be very shocked if you don't really know the story of Diego Maradona that, and sometimes you got to use this uh, carefully, but the, the man was a God. And if you watch this documentary on what he was really all about, some of it almost doesn't seem real. It seems in a Hollywood sense that no one could really do what he did, not only on the pitch, but what he did for his country, what he did literally for South America. And at times, almost the soccer world, uh, he was uh, a God among men. Uh, even at times when he certainly was not treated that way, uh, which is kind of part of that documentary, but someone who certainly would know much more uh, than us, and we're thrilled always to have our very good friend James Sherman join us here this morning. James, how you doing, mate? I'm doing great, fellas. Great to be on again. You know, I couldn't imagine in its day, and I did not know Diego Maradona during his time, because I still at that point didn't watch footy like a lot of people in north america it came much later so in watching what he was all about i would think if you were up against him if the ball came remotely close to to what looked like uh this little swarthy maybe not in the greatest of shape at times like it was a very odd looking uh element but i would be terrified if that person got the ball well, it's funny, Mike, you use the word terrified there because I, I was thinking about this yesterday and my first memories of 
Maradona were back in that 86 World Cup. And, you know, that's the first World Cup that I remember watching as, as a sports fan. And I was terrified of this diminutive little genius, little madman on the field. Every time he got the ball um, during that World Cup, I was, you know, brought to my feet, excited. And then when he played that infamous game against England, um, back in those days, remember, you know, I'm a kid, I'm naive. Every, all, my, all my heroes are playing on the field. Every time he got the ball, I was literally terrified. What is he going to do? He's going to hurt my team. And that is the fear that he put into other teams, footballers, let alone fans. Um, he did it all. He had that ability to, to beat you one-on-one or beat the team 11-on-11. <laughs> or, you know, he, or he'd, or he'd throw a, a, a foot over the ball onto your shin. He could play the dark arts as well. Um, and how you playing? Well, you know, back in that era in, in the mid-80s, and when he broke through in the 70s too, it was a different brand of, of football entirely. Oh, you know this, yeah. Mike. It was nasty. It was yeah. physical. You know, all about these these snowflake footballers nowadays we hear about, they didn't exist back in those days. This was a vicious sport and footballers were assaulted. And you watch some of those early videos of, of Maradona playing uh, in Napoli. Oh, my God. Syria, oh, or in God. South America. My, people were trying to kill him. They were yes. trying to hurt him. They are trying to kill him. Yeah. And to be so dominant um, amidst that football sporting culture on pitch just I think elevates his legendary status because he was nasty yeah but they were out to get him and he found a way so that was the only way he could really stop it was to do that yeah. to come at him with, with two feet with elbows with fists sometimes it's funny you say 86 Mexico 86 because that's my first introduction as well because of course you know a lot of people listening today may not you know, this may not go with them, but Canada was actually part of Mexico 86, yeah, which, right. which was why I was watching the, the result. Not, not so good, but you couldn't help to watch teams like Argentina, West Germany at the time, uh, England, uh, teams like that. Now, now, you know, considering our younger age at that time and then kind of looking through the history books of World Cups, is that the single greatest individual effort in a World Cup history? Because people are saying that has to be close to number one unless uh, a Brazilian legend had something to say about it a little bit <laughs> earlier uh, before our lifetime. Right. It's considered to be the greatest um, of the modern era. Now, obviously, Pelé had incredible World Cups. Um, let's not take anything away from Pelé. And that's, I think, can sometimes happen in these, these days. You know, when we look back on a career after someone dies, let's not you know dismiss the other guy that was his yes. rival, his, his Ronaldo, his Messi, uh, to put it in, in contemporary terms. Um, but yeah, I mean, five goals, but it's more than just the goals. It was the, the assists, um, just the way he, he dictated play for that great Argentina team. Um, so for me, it probably was, it's only in my memory. I mean, Zidane had a great one, of course, um, a number of years ago now with France, but nothing quite like Maradona. And as, as years go by, of course, the legend grows, right? And, I think Maradona's off the field exploits grew that legend as well. So perhaps we're somewhat blinkered when we reflect on that, that World Cup. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, he, he bossed it. That's the, that's the footballing parlance to use. He bossed that World Cup. And, uh, you know, obviously it all kind of came to fruition in that, in that quarter final. That was the moment, even more than the final. That was the moment, the iconic moments where he really, you know, introduced himself to European football and to the British press who kind of dictate how we how we perceive the narratives in, in world football. We're in conversation with James Sherman here on News Talk Saga 960 Raw, Mike Richards. And I think you bring up a, a really great point in that, again, 
depending on how you grew up with the sport or if you didn't like myself. I did not. In fact, the reality is that until 2001, if you had talked about soccer, you were going to get a smart ass, typical North American smug guys rolling on the ground. I remember doing a routine. I opened up at Roy Thompson Hall for a comedy uh, festival they had in Toronto for George Carlin. And my first five minutes was a fake reach for the top if it starred international soccer stars. So when they got it wrong, they'd roll on the ground and hold their legs. Like that was part of my big, my big thing. And, 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 I, I think that, um, when I see the rugby style of soccer, when, when I see when he first goes to Napoli and I'm staring at this game, like it's not even, well, I, 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 it's, it's not even the same sport. It literally isn't the same sport. And I think that there's also, along with that, uh, the, the culture that has changed. Because he wins for Argentina, and when he comes back to Italy to play for a club team, the, the Italians are all angry. Like, everyone's mad. Everybody's mad. This day and age, if Ronaldo somehow wins for Portugal, but he goes back to Juve, as long as he wins for Juventus, they're all good with it. They're all, they're fine with that. I don't think, I think the world has changed and, and the soccer world has changed in that, yeah, you know, you want to win and it's very emotional when it comes to your home country. But if you can win for your club, they'll, they'll take that part. But back then, I think there were some real lines in the sand. I think, I, I think, you know, as much as we talk about uh, bigotry and racism uh, these days and the sensitivity, Oh, go back to the seventies in the soccer world and go around Europe. If you want to talk about racism, they still haven't got rid of it. You can still go to, it's, it's, it is, it's probably of all the sports I can think of still the most volatile on the planet when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, football, um, was almost the conduit for that disenfranchised youth, right? And they go to the stands, certainly in, in the UK, um, you know, unemployment was at all time highs. And they go in the stands and that nationalism would, would, would just grow and that racism would grow. And that's really where a lot of these uh, groups like the National Front, for example, they really targeted a lot of the football crowds. So absolutely. Bear in mind also that back in, in, in the 80s, um, the Italian Serie A was full of just Italians. The English First Division was full of just English. Spain was just Spanish. You didn't have foreign imports in those days. It just didn't happen. So... You're right. For a Maradona to arrive in the Syria, he came with some suspicion. Yeah, he was brilliant. We know he knew how good he was, but it wasn't like you could watch him on YouTube and introduce yourself to him and find out who what he did last season. You saw him at a World Cup every four years, and maybe you know through the press you might read some stories, but you didn't know much about him. So this guy arrives at Napoli, who was not a very um, sexy team. That's a southern Italian team, and at that era and you know, up until that point, the northern Italian teams, the Milan's. And the Juventus has dominated Italian football. No one in the South had won before. This guy arrives in, in, in Napoli um, with this rock and roll lifestyle, so to speak, and then just dominates the Serie A, wins two Serie A titles, a um, couple of cups, a UEFA Cup, all the time while he's still partying with uh, the mob in, in, in yes. Naples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things off the field, right? I mean, yes. it's a movie, right? It is a yes. movie, and yes. it's going to be made at some point. And it, it's incredible that he performed at that level given his off-the-field exploits, which, again, the legend grows. So he really um, made his mark in Italian football. He changed Italian football. 
You talked, you talked about, uh, in that era, in that generation, in that decade, how, and even decades before, how internationals would not go to certain countries, and he kind of broke that barrier in a sense. What would have happened if he would have been signed to a premiership team? Would that kind of been the same sort of thing? Cause at that time, you're right, it was, it was, is an entire league of basically English, English soccer players, and that's it. Well, not, not, not just that, but imagine an Argentine signing in the, in the English Considering league. the yeah. countries. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Now, that said, um, Ozzy Ardiles was uh, an Argentine player who played the town of Hosper, and he was there during the, the, um, the Falklands conflict, and right. he was beloved. Ozzy was a lovely guy, incredible player, but it was very um, tricky for him during that era. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Maradona could have gone to England prior to 86 because he wouldn't have gone post-86 because he wasn't very popular. <laughs> well, you know, a couple of reasons. Um, I, I, mean, I, I grew up in a household that we didn't like Diego, that's for sure. You know, to hell that he was maybe the greatest talent we've ever seen, but we didn't like him. But, yeah, it, it would have been difficult. There were so few foreigners. I remember when the, when the Premier League first kicked off in 1992 when they rebranded, there were 13 non-British players, 13 in the wow. entire league. One of whom was Craig Forrest, by the way. He catches two. He's very tall. Um, but, I mean, it's amazing, right? How times have changed. And now they're the majority. The foreigners are the majority of the players there. But, you know, and, it's, and again, when you, when you play catch up as a North American and you, you kind of catch on like late to the party. So some of the, uh, uh, parameters you're not familiar with, inc- including that. So I remember being in Italy and I'm um, having this conversation and, uh, um, it gets to uh, Inter. They start talking about Inter. And a couple of them get very quiet. And so I, I whisper in English to a couple, I said, why, why? Then he goes, uh, Michele, Internazionali. They don't want, they don't, they want to, see, they don't want to see them. In, the internationals? No, no. Not the archer. They don't like it. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about that team. They don't want to talk about foreigners uh, coming. And I thought, you know, because, that's the name of the team. And back in those days when you talk about, and it's funny, uh, I, I imagine there's probably sort of old school people in, in other countries, including places where, I mean, Scotland at one point was going to, oh, they were going to World Cups. They, at one point years ago, <laughs> won one. And now you think about uh, how that works. And, and, and unless you look at the makeup of a, of a Celtic, if you look uh, at Rangers, those kinds of teams, what I think uh, Hibs or, or, or Hearts is going to be made up. Uh, like when it was truly probably, I mean, there are just some countries that I just don't think will ever get back just because of the makeup of the top international players get the top money in the top leagues all over the world. They play yeah. at the top levels of football. When they all go back, they're all like superheroes and super friends in some of these other countries. How do I no, ever expect? Yeah, that's they're and it's only going to continue, Mike, right? With this super European Super League, which once again is, is uh, being discussed, it's going to happen at some point. It you will. I, I don't like it, but it's going to happen at some point. It may not be next year or the year after, but I would say in the next decade, you're going to see the top, top teams and the top leagues branch away into this, you know, uh, North American style, you know, league essentially, where you can't get demoted, where you're going to maybe even have a playoff system. Who knows? Um, and that's just the way it's going. That's how the game's grown since the mid 80s. And Maradona, you know, and, and, and these guys, which is, I don't know, I mean, we talk about football soul, you lose something, you know, I don't mind seeing Chelsea take on West Bromwich Albion, or, you know, I, I don't mind seeing those, that gives you the chance for the fairy tale, for the upset. Yes. And I think if you have AC Milan playing against the Juventus every week, 
there's no upset. Mm. So what? You know, yeah. where, where's, where's the romance in that? You know, I, I don't, it's, it's a real shame, but hey, listen, I don't know if there's a greedier sport in there. They're probably all that to say, let's be honest, but football's a very greedy sport run by yeah. very greedy people. And uh, sadly, I think us, the fans, are going to be the victims. I, I agree 100%, which is why there's still such a charm uh, to FA Cup games where yeah, exactly. where, where you'll see the... Uh, is it Gillingham? Is that uh, where your cousin was from? Gillingham. Gills. What's his yes. name again? I forget his name now. Yeah, you, uh, you, was it? You introduced me to him. It was. Uh, was it Archie? I'm gonna have to go back. Archie. Yeah. And it is like uh, you know, looking at these, and of course, if they show them on television, it's like looking at your own little town, and there's this pitch, and all of a sudden, Liverpool walks on to play your team. Yeah, and I'm like, amazing. this is, um, but I can't take my eyes off it. And they'll, they will play the game of their lives. Look, they're going to lose. And, and Liverpool will keep and put a lot of their, their, the guys that will be stars probably in four to five years or whatever. But my God, what a spectacle. Like, I just think it's brilliant. Like, I just love it. And, and to take that oh, wow. away, what a shame. And I mean, I've said before, I think to you guys that, you know, those, those fixtures can also help a team survive, literally survive. Yes. Because if Liverpool get drawn against the tiny, say, Gillingham and is at Anfield, and there are fans in the stands, which they, right, they're coming back slowly there, but often they'll, they'll split the gates, right? So that team will get a few hundred thousand pounds for that game, and that, for their tiny budgets, is enormous. Yeah. So, yeah, the FA Cup, to me, is, is still the most wonderful cup tournament in, in world sport. I, I wish other sports did similar things. I really do. Um, because you get that. Every now and again, every few years, you get some crazy upset. And, uh, you know, it's like, wow, this is, this is, you know, romance. This is how sport really should be. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Uh, James, uh, great to see you. Uh, footy Prime podcast. How's that going? It's going great, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get through each, each week with Danny and Craig. Never easy, but uh, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the pies we're doing, we're, we're, we're selling pies. We are selling lots of pies right now. It's pie season. It's crazy. Yes, so it I'm is. Spending more time, I'm spending more time with dough than I am in front of the TV these days. <laughs> Uh, who, who knew that? Hey, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you take care. Always good to see you, pal. Uh, always love, love to see your face. And uh, we wish you the best. And if we don't talk to you before Christmas, uh, have the best Christmas that you can possibly have. Uh, best of luck with uh, uh, proper pies. And, and uh, Freddie Mercury on that top of the tree. I want to see another picture, Charmin. He's, he's, he's coming back. Awesome. Take care. And we'll talk to you again real soon, friend. All right, lads. Thanks so much for checking. That is James Sharman, uh, Footy Prime Podcast, obviously, is what he does now, uh, uh, of course, with Proper Pies. Yes, Sharman's Proper on the Danforth. Sharman's Proper. Yep. And apparently every guest on the show is asking for free pies. Apparently, Someone yes. like radio for, for people to ask for free things. That's right? <laughs> weird, eh? The boys are back in town. You're listening to Rob Mike Richards, brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products on Newstalk Saga 960. And now, from the Bell Lifestyle Studio, here's Mike and Dave. And now it's time for Raw Mike Richards Stat of the Day. Raw Mike Richards Stat of the Day brought to you by SportsMarketplace.ca. SportsMarketplace.ca. If you've wondered if your sports collectibles or memorabilia is worth anything, well, now you've found its place. Post your items for sale. Free to sign up. Free to post. No commissions. SportsMarketplace.ca. Where sports fans go to put their stuff on waivers.
sure it's uh, once again a pretty busy day uh, here on the show. Dave has his uh, he has his hop, and there's a lot of guests. If you just miss James Sharman, that's too bad because uh, he's just worth the price of admission, man. I'll tell you, I love that guy. He is. Uh, but we also also have uh, Javon Shepard, one of our favorites, and uh, I was unaware. Dave sent me this that he's going to be the GM of the Ottawa Blackjacks and CEBL, and uh, that is. That is so great. He is such a good person. Uh, obviously, a fine basketball player, basketball uh, personnel, but just uh, for himself, wow, that's just such a cool thing in a league that we have a lot of aspirations for. And of course, Jason Tom will have a lot to say about that when he joins the 8 o'clock hour. And Scott Morrison, who wrote Catch 22, you saw Rick Vive on the show the other day or listened to Rick Vive. Uh, he's the one who wrote the book. So lots going on here this morning. Right now, it's stat of the day. Yeah, oh, just one stat of the day before we quickly get to our traffic update and and the rest of the show for the most part. So with the postponement of the Ravens and Steelers tonight, because of course that has been moved to Sunday afternoon, the Thanksgiving Day NFL slate has left with two games involving four teams that have a combined winning percentage of 325. Yes, 13 and 27 are these are these uh, four teams. That's the lowest combined win percentage among years with multiple games on Thanksgiving. So what you're seeing this afternoon starting at 1230 in Detroit is the worst Thanksgiving schedule in the history of the NFL season when it is more than one game because of course back in the back in the day Mike uh, and unfortunately and for those people at that time because we weren't really part of it there only used to be one game and that's it and that was a big deal the one game was a big deal it was a big deal Detroit was a big deal that was it so Mm -hmm. but uh, today you got the worst (laughs) you wanted the worst you got the worst (laughs) that is today's the worst football in the land (laughs) (laughs) the lions here we go get your stuff on sportsmarketplace.ca also give yourself a chance to win a 540 dollars amazon e-card earn balance by signing up and earn additional balance by posting items for sale and that's not all a special bonus for listeners of raw mike richards enter the coupon code raw 2020 that's r-a-w 2020 and get featured listings for free sportsmarketplace.ca where sports fans go to put their stuff on waivers the boys are back in town you're listening to raw mike richards brought to you by bell lifestyle products on Newstalk saga 960 and now from the bell lifestyle studio here's mike and dave Newstalk saga 960 raw mike richards on what we said is going to be a very uh, busy thursday and it is uh, i was really thrilled and again, when you start talking about basketball, it's talking about grassroots basketball in this country. When you see the elevation of the game itself from coast to coast, uh, and again, going back to a time where when, when Leo Routens goes from, from St. Mike's to Syracuse, like I just, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that someone that you, you kind of knew of was going to play for Jim Beheim. Like I just, I didn't know it's, you know, you're looking around. You don't know if anyone else is even watches basketball in the country at that time. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't know it was, I mean, and, and now you look where it's come and with the CEBL, the professional leagues, uh, that we have in Canada, a professional league, a place for our guys to go. And then one of our favorites, Javon Shepard, all of a sudden he now 
a general manager for the Ottawa Blackjacks, and he joins us here this morning. And I would say, good morning, general manager, which is, I think good is, morning. is that how you're going to demand the staff talk to you? Is like, yes, general manager, no, no general manager. No, I'm going to be, I'm a people person. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's just, as long as we have, you know, we won't, we, we won't see that side on, until we have somebody that gets out of line. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I was just thrilled. Uh, you're one of our favorites, and uh, we, we we love uh, just watching everything that you do. And the fact that this is now, I think, another level of elevation for uh, you know Canadian-born players. Uh, should they choose to go south of the border like you did, that's great. Uh, but mm-hmm. now we're seeing the you know a real push where some of these guys might start staying at home to play their ball, and now they have a professional league to play in. This is the start of how a whole country, a national program, everything gets elevated. So, uh, first of all, people are going to want to know how did this come to be? How are you the general manager of the Blackjacks? Um, you know what? It's funny. I spent last year. I was actually drafted in, in the in the first inaugural season of the league, and I didn't end up playing because I was, you know, my mind was set on making sure I used my summer wisely and productive to really, um, you know, plan for my my future or post playing career. So, um, the summer I was drafted by Guelph Nighthawks. I, I didn't play, but this this following season, I was doing the broadcasting for CBC's coverage of the CEBL. And I, you know, I had a really good chance to, you know, evaluate the league, evaluate the players, and you know, just get a sense and a taste of what everything was about. And it was, it was a really good product. It was, you know, a Canadian league made by Canadians for Canadians. Eighty percent of the league of the players were Canadian, and then obviously the, the um, executive body and the governing body, rather. Was all we're all Canadian, so I was like, okay, this is impressive to have a domestic league stand on its own within within our country and, and, and be successful, as well as just rounding up some of the top players and having everybody under one roof. So, you know, there was there was that, and then um, going forward this year, I heard some whispers of some changes, and uh, you know, with the with the Ottawa's team in the nation's capital, and I I approached uh, the president. Mike Siskovich and we had spoke briefly at that time. It was a bit premature in terms of, you know, where they were going, the direction of they're going. But, you know, eventually I said, you know, I'll just go through the process to see what it's like just to get that experience first. And then lo and behold, I'm here today. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You are. And congratulations Javon. That's uh, awesome news. Now, um, we're not exactly sure when this next season actually will tip off. Uh, but right. in the meantime, we're sitting here on November the 26th. Uh, what is, what is the first steps now when you're, when you're handling a, a new model of clay and you're trying to figure out which way you're going to go with it? I think, you know, first is to really, you know, uh, the, the previous coach had stepped down. Uh, he had some other obligations and said he won't be putting his name into the you know, 2021 list of candidates for coaching or um, looking to resign. So, you know, there's that because that, that position obviously has to be filled. And I think, you know, first in order would be ideally I'd want to get a, an assistant GM. You know, I really want to build this, this thing like uh, a, an NBA team, uh, one of the higher Euro league, Euro league professional leagues abroad that 
you know, I've seen and I've experienced because I, I know what that does to have, you know, some solid minds in, in a board or in a room to really make decisions. And then, you know, just evaluating our principles and what we want to, you know, really build our team around what we're looking for in a coach. And then from there, after we have, you know, those two in place, we'll evaluate the current roster, you know, and I think for me, the biggest thing is retaining as much of the guys we can as possible. Um, especially the local guys, because there's, there's a rich culture of basketball in Ottawa and that Gatineau area and, and really you know, making sure that's a connection to the community there. And I think that's, that takes precedence. And then from there, we really just fill spots. Well, uh, I'll and, be and again, it's, it's big to, the people that you want to have on board are people that are going to be there for the long haul because at the end of the day, the most successful teams aren't just built on talent or names, but chemistry. Right. Well, you know, when I look at this hiring, like, I mean, they're very, very smart. I mean, uh, because of what you represent, there's a lot of things that go on with uh, that, that I think are, are connected to, to Javon Shepard. Number one, um, if I'm looking at a general manager or any of any sport, I, I want to see for the athletes who play in that sport. So what would the attraction be? So, so if I hire a general manager, what is that? Well, for you in this country, in this sport, number one, you just mentioned the Ottawa area. So, so if you see what goes on in Carlton, when you see what goes on in basketball, it's a basketball hotbed. It just mm-hmm. is. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good basketball that's played there. Number two, you went to West Hill. West Hill has produced a lot of basketball players. They're going to say, so I can go, I can go and play South. I can go right. to, I can go to Akron and then I can go <laughs> and play for Javon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get paid. This is going to be a thing. That is huge. And so of course, all those that took, if you went to Michigan, if you were a Big Ten guy, uh, if you played, uh, at some point in the university games, there is that going to be that attraction because you are there. It's, it's why one of the reasons I would hire you because mm-hmm. it's going, people are going to want to play for you. You also happen to be a, a, a very good human being. And, and to me, all the great organizations, if you start at the top, mm-hmm. I think you have to have that. You know that. You've played in enough organizations. You've played in Holland. You've played in Spain. You you know that you only want to go in a place where it's a guy that you can play for. That's a big mm-hmm. part of it. And you you will have that draw. So I think that, you know, if I'm Mike Morielli, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled with this. Uh, I, this. This, to me, starts to roll out, you know, where I know eventually – they would like to add uh, a couple mm. of teams when life gets back to normal. Uh, you know, maybe there's a couple of teams out east, maybe one or two out west, wherever it's going to be. But this is how the league grows. So I think in mm. some ways that you're a, a, a big piece of the league itself getting uh, respectability. And guys who have played at a certain level are going to want to play in places like Ottawa. So to me, it it all works. And I'm sure your fa- your family must be just really proud of this move. Oh, they're, they're happy. They're happy. And you know what? To, to tag along to what you said, I, I think the biggest thing there is just being relatable. Like, and I think that's where, you know, from your staff head on down is, is key because I know for me in my career, the most success I've had was when I was working with people that were relatable. We could bounce ideas off each other and we could have provocative conversation and then apply that on the court, right? So it's, it's not a dictatorship, but more of like a perfect marriage and, 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 you know, compromising, compromising for the better goal. So I think when you, and, and Mike Morelli embodies that as well. Like he's sometimes you don't even know that he's a commissioner because he's so down to earth and he just, yeah. he has, he has a conversation with everybody. You message him or call him and he's the first calling you back before you even hang up the phone. So, you know, just having that type of personality, that type of character, um, speaks volumes and, and, and it, it's, translatable 
do we know anything about uh, what the proposed schedule might be coming up in 2021? I, I know we, when we've talked to other coaches across different leagues, like we have a we have a uh, a weekly OHL segment where they're not sure what they're scheduling. Before it was some NHL talk, NBA. We finally do know uh, it is coming up in less than a month's time. As far as the CBL is concerned, do we do we have any proposed schedule, or is that still in negotiations? That's still, and I think it's, it's just tough to say because of where we are and, you know, the variables and not necessarily sure where the world is going to be with this sure. pandemic in the next, um, you know, four to six months. So, you know, the one thing that they have reassured is that, you know, the, the, the CBL seven teams will be playing in, in the 21 season. So they, everybody will be on the court. It's just at what capacity and how, um, we're still unsure. So I think, you know, I'm still excited. I'm still optimistic that we'll be able to play in front of our, in front of our, you know, fans, our support system at TD place in, in Ottawa there. And, uh, it's just nobody has a crystal ball. So right. I think just being optimistic and just, you know, looking at different continues, look at different options that may come into play down the stretch is, is just all we can do at this time. But. You know, the commissioner did a, commissioner and the rest of the, the governing body did an exceptional job of, of putting together the summer series, which is, a, you know, an amazing product that was, you know, displayed in the summer series this, this year. And we, who knew what was going to happen? I mean, they really just got and they worked hour and hours and endlessly to put it together, which they really didn't get an answer for until minutes before tip off of the first game. So when you have people like that behind um, as a machine and, and, and steering the steering the, the, the driver's seat per se, then I think anything is possible and, and it will be done the right way. All the necessary measures, health measures and protocol will be taken into place. The uh, the summer series was a win. That 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 came off like uh, it's something I guess as a kid uh, growing up uh, wondering you know how, where basketball would go in this country. Uh, we, at the time, we didn't have a pro league, and as I said, you know, if you heard of someone that maybe got a scholarship south of the border, that was a big deal in Toronto. Like it would it would make headlines just the, just getting just going to a school and then watching the level of ball. Uh, a lot of a lot of people might have been unfamiliar with some of the players of of where they had played, but actually being Canadian, uh, I thought the presentation by CBC see the job you did like I thought the whole thing was just came off I mean it was it, it was spectacular and I and and that was the as you said the way that was put together how you had to do it uh and 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 under the circumstances that you had to do it imagine if you had time imagine if you you're able to exactly. do the league properly this is what's coming your way Javon I'm I'm, I'm serious this is going to be the, I don't think people realize how good this is going to be the found, fundamentals the foundation is there and I think you said something key there's that Many people didn't know these players. And, you know, that, that's a bit disheartening because these players are from our backyards. And I think this league here is now going to perform, you know, provide that platform and that space where these, these kids become hometown heroes and they get notoriety in their communities and, and they should rightfully so. They've been all have had a level of success within their respective lanes or whatever direction they went, whether it be CIS, junior college, they stayed in Canada, they went division one, they played professionally elsewhere. But, you know, my nephew, my, my kids should know, see these kids and just, and know that, you know, it's achievable, it's attainable to play professionally or, and, 
you know, whatever lanes they go on after. Like for me, when I had seen a professional, those guys were like mythical characters because they were just NBA stars. Right. And obviously that change in landscape of sports here, you know, the effect of Vince Carter's and so forth. Um, but now there's, there's, there's another level and something of our own to really, you know, aspire to be and so forth. And I think, you know, the, the other side to that is providing opportunity for, there's, there's two sides to that. It, it will help the game grow. And then the younger generation, these guys are hometown heroes in, in their um, backyard. But at the same time now, the players can build their brand in their own community so that they, it's an easier transition after their playing career as well. And I think for me, that's a, that's an extremely big part. And it was that it was enticing being in the nation's capital because you want to have, have youth in reach of enough resources to, to be able to say, Hey guys, not only is here's this contract, but we want to be able to help you after your career, after playing and, and have those resources to make those connections. Well, I'll, Oh, sorry, Dave. I, I'm going to be really curious too because of your proximity to uh, Montreal and the scene there, which is, well, I'll be honest. Some schools have made a living off of going into Montreal and finding some very fine players. Uh, you know, Chris Boucher, of course, who went to to Oregon, but Gonzaga has made a living of getting guys from the province of Quebec and putting for 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 at least ten years. Guys from Quebec have been going to Gonzaga, but considering you now have this professional. Uh, uh, a team in Ottawa in this proximity to Montreal, I'm going to be really curious to see the kinds of guys who, you know, you're going to catch their eye, right? Yeah, There's, for sure. I, I think it's a, it's, if you're talking from proximity, you're two hours away and there's, again, a rich culture there. There's a lot of talent there. Um, and you have, like, there's, there's a wide range to pick and pull from. So, and I think when you're building, you have to keep that in mind that, okay, we can build, Montreal on Ottawa, it's it's all pretty much within reach, and that's that's something that's going to be enticing for those players as well because there's not a professional team out there. And, and again, with with the way this year has gone, a lot of professional leagues abroad aren't aren't sustaining, aren't having their seasons, they're stopping going, they're they're ending early, and they don't know where they're going. So um, I think this year will be interesting in terms of the the, the talent pool you have to pick from. Um, as well as, as going forward. And I think if you have a, have a wider talent pool to pick from now and you get some quality players within the league, not just Ottawa, then, you know, that message continues, that message echoes that, you know, this is a solid league. Just, uh, I know we're up against the time here, Javon, but thanks for your time. Uh, yeah. let's do this again when we get a little bit closer. Maybe we hear some news about, uh, sure. scheduling and stuff like that, but, uh, phenomenal news and, uh, really excited for you and really excited to talk to you as well. Well, you have to get that Harvard shirt off. We need Michigan. <laughs> yeah, and they were winners last night. They were winners last night. Uh, uh, and and Dave also wanted to ask: Does this because he asked me? He said, does, "Does this mean that um, when we go to Ottawa to watch a game, that we'll get a private box? They'll put us up in a hotel, and we'll get all free booze and food?" And I said, I, I, "Of course, of course, it does. anything, exactly. anything, and everything." <laughs> Don't say everything. Uh, that could be trouble. That's, that's headlines in that newspaper the next day. Javon can. Congratulations, my friend. This is awesome news. I know we'll talk to you again soon. If we don't talk to you before Christmas, uh, wish uh, the best for you and your family. I think it's going to be a great Christmas and uh, look forward to a much better 2021, and it certainly will be in your family. Same to you guys.
John Shepard uh, joining us uh, here this morning. He is the general manager of the Ottawa Black Jacks, amongst uh, other things. But that was great news and awesome to have on the show this morning. News Talk Saga 960 is the new home for Raw Mike Richards. Brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products. Also streaming live on Saga960.ca. And now, from the Bell Lifestyle Studio, here's Mike and Dave. News Talk, Saga 960, Raw, Mike Richards, and a shout out to our American friends for their uh, Thanksgiving, which uh, gives us gifts as well. Yes, it strangely does. Enough. Yes, it does. The, the traditional day in which I fake sick, which is amazing because I thought for years I tricked my mom, who was a nurse, actually a nurse. And surprisingly, on this Thursday every year, from about grade four on, look, I was watching this kind of stuff when I was a kid, uh, like really early. Uh, when you only had like three American channels and you had your, your, uh, CTV affiliate, your CBC affiliate, and then usually some other, depending on the, the region you're from, uh, it, it, for, so when I grew up, so you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and of course they were all Buffalo. As people all relate to, they, you know what stations I'm talking about. Now, depending on what you were getting on your dial, and when I mean dial, this was not a remote. It was a dial. <laughs> it was actually, you had to go up and, and, and click the dial. Uh, you would have had sometimes Peterborough. Peterborough could have been an affiliate for a CBC because you did have CBC, obviously, CFT, uh, CBLT in Toronto. So that was our channel six. But channel 12 for us was Peterborough. We got Peterborough, uh, CHCH, channel 11, you could kind of get in there. Uh, and I think that was, that was it. Now, if you're in Winnipeg, so you said yours came from, and I was surprised mm-hmm. that it's Detroit was your, was your was your uh, affiliates? It is, Detroit. yeah, yeah. It was really weird. We we would pick up um, just over the border. There's a significant United the U.S. town, uh, Fargo, Grand Forks, uh, Fargo. But would Minnesota not be closer than Detroit? Much closer, much closer. So we'd pick up we'd pick up those affiliates, and we'd pick up the Detroit affiliates, which made no sense. And that was like that for almost a decade. Because it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my twenties where something happened and they made the, the switch to Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, uh, which is basically the, the first major city Winnipeggers can drive through. That's why you, right. you see a, a, a slew of Minnesota Viking fans in, in the province of Manitoba, even season ticket holders. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those, you know, uh, geographic, uh, Rivals with the Jets in the wild and so forth, but uh, no, it was old Detroit all the time, and uh, yeah, so we'd get we'd get like the Wayne Font show on on uh, oh, su- Sunday nights, and yeah, oh yeah, and, and so Spartan Wayne, what Sp- happened this weekend? Uh, <laughs> Seriously, not very good. We're yeah. not very good. Those were some those were some starving uh, Lions teams as well that I witnessed, but uh, yeah, we'd see that all the time, and and the good part about it in the eighties. The Detroit Tigers were phenomenal and yeah, Sparky that, Anderson. Sure. Yeah, Sparky Anderson yeah. was the toast of baseball basically. And uh to watch like the eighty four World Series Tigers just uh that's basically my youngest my 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 first baseball memory of uh of, of that team and, and how good that team was. It's funny, uh talking about both uh, Detroit and Minnesota. 
You know, I'm not, I'm not a huge baseball guy. Baseball is, is not my thing. I'm not going to sit there and talk baseball to you sometimes, uh, uh, you know, depending on, on the, on the year. Like if you're talking to me baseball in the fall, I'm fine. You start talking to me baseball at other times, Dave will tell you, I'm, could be oblivious to what you're talking about. But there are two stadiums that I would like to go to. And if we were doing like a guys weekend or even just, you know, a bunch of couples or whatever, when we're able to actually do that. Yeah. Uh, Target Field looks, I, I was just on the outside of it looking in. It looks fantastic. Like, that is a great location. The, the way it's built, Target Field, I would go to a baseball game there. Yep. Where uh, you see, uh, I was going to say Tiger Stadium, but it's called, what is it called now? Uh, yeah. Comerica. Comerica. Yep. But the old, some to go to it on a game day, and some of the old hotels who have these cool little bars like that were built like about 100 years ago, all these little places around, kind of a cool thing to do in Detroit. Um, uh, and again, uh, right downtown Detroit during that, you don't have any problems there. Right there, there there's, there's not problems. It's kind of cool to go down there. But the other one for sure, and I never got a chance to go in it, was PNC Park in, in Pittsburgh. It, just at the base of the mountain. Oh my God, is that, that is an absolutely gorgeous and stunning location for baseball. So I definitely, uh, that would be my third. So, uh, those are the three to go see a game and, and, and go with a bunch of people to enjoy the town as well. I would do any of those because there's a lot of fun. The boys are back in town. You're listening to Raw Mike Richards, brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products on Newstalk Saga 960. And now, from the Bell Lifestyle Studio, here's Mike and Dave. Newstalk Saga 960, Raw Mike Richards, here on what I said was a, a busy Thursday, and it has been not only a busy Thursday, but it has been a... Uh, like an alumni reunion of the score, <laughs> apparently, with uh, with the uh, in particular, uh, a lot of the alumnus asking for free meat pies, which yeah, I did I not see coming. I said Javon would pay. Yes, I said yeah. Javon would pay. Oh, Javon would, now he has to because he's a big shot now. Exactly, <laughs> big general manager. This is by the way, Jason Tom joining us here. Also, have you had any of the pies? Have you had uh, Have you had a chance to have James uh, proper pies? Have you tasted them before? When I was living downtown, I didn't have a chance to order, and then I was out of the uh, delivery area, so I haven't. But I do want to uh, emphasize that I support small businesses, and I would not have asked for a free pie. (laughs) Javon was stepping up, also a Toronto native, was going (laughs) to step up, and and he was going to buy his own pie as well. So I actually had a sale of two pies there for for Charmin's (laughs) Proper. Well, now those kids can go to school. You know, <laughs> talking to Javon Shepard was one of the good guys, right? I mean, the, the, just in life, you run across people and, and you want to see them do well. And, and, and he is definitely one of those guys. I thought in our conversation, I did bring up the coverage of the summer series at CBC, which was just a huge win for the league. To, to me, to be able to pull that off in the time and the parameters that surrounded the an ability just to have a, a basketball tournament. But I thought the coverage itself, you obviously did a great job. And I thought all the, and, and, and Javon uh, doing his stuff on camera, you just you. you you get the feeling like if that was just the little nugget, cause that's, that's really what that was. That was, that was, that was difficult to pull off, uh, even for the players who weren't used to probably playing a tournament schedule like that since they were 15. I don't know. <laughs> Some of those tournaments where you got, maybe had a couple of games in a day or, or however that worked when you were a kid. But to see now Javon as a general manager, this just tells me that, and uh, look, I'm a fan of Mike Morreale, so it's, uh, I'm a little biased here. But the league gets it. You can see that there is going to be some sort of rollout. And as I mentioned to Javon, there's two things that happen in Ottawa. Number one, really good basketball area. 
um, a hotbed to a degree when you when you throw in Carlton and what they have done at their level, which at times has been uh, sickly dominant. You look at Montreal, and I sort of threw in, well, look, uh, schools like Gonzaga and even Oregon did with uh, Boucher. Uh, they've been feeding off the talent out of Quebec for years where it has not really been cultivated for ourselves. You put a team in Ottawa a couple of hours away, it's a game changer in that area. You might catch some eyes from some kids who start seeing professional basketball in their own country. This is why having Javon, having that draw, having a person like that, having a team in Ottawa, it all makes sense. Yeah, I mean, another former player there in uh, Isvaldo Genti is, uh, as the head coach as well. Um, it, you know, Isvaldo's uh, brother, younger brother, is is playing actually out of Ottawa as well, out of a prep up there, Canada Top Flight Academy. So uh, you, you see the connections the whole way through when you talk about <laughs> former players. And as we all know, like, you know, the younger brothers are always a little better than the older brothers. And as the generations move along, our players get better genetically. They're further advanced uh, in that area. You mentioned uh, Ottawa and then like right across the river there in Gatineau, just an absolute hotbed. We have a lot of interest coming from that area when you talk about the prep scene. But then obviously in the pro scene as well, uh, I know Moriali has been working very, very hard uh, in that Montreal area as well. And there's a lot of interest in a lot of different ways when it comes to pro teams. We constantly hear Montreal being brought up as a possible expansion in the NBA. Uh, I don't know how close that is, obviously. But, um, you know, when you talk about former players and you talk about putting them in areas like that, I think beyond just playing, but all the other uh, opportunities as well, you want to talk about uh, general manager, coaching, refereeing. Um, some of the best referees uh, I've ever been involved with come out of that Montreal area, that, that, that corridor that we're talking about, and just because they have a passion for a game and they have a knowledge of the game. And it's exciting on every different level when you talk about basketball in Canada. Well, you mentioned you mentioned NBA expansion into the Montreal area. Uh, as far as uh, CEBL uh, expansion, wouldn't that make sense to kind of tackle that area as well? Almost get there first. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's it's something that has been talked about really since the league started up, um, and I think it's just a matter of connecting the right dots. I think when it comes down to it, because there's a lot of interested parties, but it's getting the right parties involved, yeah, uh, and then getting the right parties involved that are also connected. Because really, to be successful, and you've seen it in all the CEBL markets, you really have to be connected to the grassroots level in that area to have it build and sustain. And I think that's the next step right now. And I think there's a lot of really Really good work being put in, and I think I think that's what we're finding right now with COVID and the slowdown and the fact that really a basketball game hasn't been played in Canada outside of the summer series since February. Wow! So when you think about it that way, you know, I think coming out of this, a lot of people are going to come out of it stronger, but then also the people who maybe you know, we're just kind of dabbling and not fully involved and maybe not doing it the right way. They're not going to be able to come out of it as strong. So you're really going to kind of thin the herd out of everything that we're seeing happening with COVID. You know, talking to uh, our good friend Looch yesterday, um, you know, Luch. we, we, uh, he's a, 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 an official a referee here in, uh, in, in Toronto. Okay. Uh, and uh, of course he's talking to the other officials because they're not working. Uh, they, and they still have to take their exams. I mean, uh, you know, they go by FIBA rules and, uh, yeah. they, they have to get their exams like everybody else. Uh, but of course they're, they're not, uh, they're not refing. And so, you know, I just started thinking of my concern for, because I mean, everything that we talk about almost starts 
when we talk about at the level of basketball, it's, it's that, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old in, in, in that area. And I don't know how much basketball is being played in this country at that level, coast to coast. I don't, where are we playing basketball or is it not being played? Yeah. I, I can tell you, um, Atlantic bubble was going strong. <laughs> Up until last week, and there was a game last week that uh, the officials had to cancel the day of because of the numbers started going up. Now I got to give it to the Atlantic Bubble, everybody out there. Once once they get into the twenties, they start. You know, restaurants are voluntarily voluntarily closing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's amazing. It's a but world. yeah, so so they were playing out there. That got shut down. Out in Alberta, they were playing some some great weekend tournaments, but they were doing it smart in cohorts. Uh, they were doing it well. And then their numbers skyrocketed. They got shut back down. So as of right now, when you talk about competitive basketball with contact involved, um, legally, there should be no basketball being played. Right. Um, th- there are some scrimmages like within a cohort of one team of 15 players, they could play each other, but that's it. I'm just telling you right now, man. Like, I mean, I've been on top of this since the beginning because I you know, obviously run the National Preparatory Association. We want to play games, but like it's looking really, really bad for seniors right now trying to play basketball in this country. And my, my hope is that in the spring that we can, you know, really try to get things going. But right now, uh, it's, it's terrible. And, and it's even worse when I sit back and I see that they've been playing hockey up until probably a month ago here in the GTA. And yeah. I mean, like, good on them. And I, and I want to explain that, like, from an organizational standpoint, we can't do it. But when I see other people finding ways to do it, other sports, or even if in basketball you're able to do it, like, I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm glad for it. Um, but I'm just saying it seems really, really unfair. And, and it goes back to, you know, I just wish that we would have done things differently the right way when it first started off and not allowed this second wave to be where it is because my concern is is that this is just going to carry on into the new year and now we're going to wipe out an entire year the entire youth sports season has been wiped out from coast to coast yeah yeah just uh just dreadful dreadful news continues and uh uh what we do know uh south of the border uh, and we kind of were talking about it very briefly um they're underway uh and some Canadians making a little bit of an impact right off the hop uh maybe give us the abc's of what you saw yesterday jay cuz we never got a chance to talk about that fully yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is just like the impact Canadians at so many different levels, at so many different schools. You had, you know, Zach Eddy, who's going to become a household name within a couple of weeks. And we knew this going in. I mean, the guy's 7'4", 285. Wow. Uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen him build on it every year too. And he's not like one of those guys that he's just like, Oh, he's cool to look at in garbage time. Like, yeah. no, like this is a, this is a guy that's really, really special. But I mean, again, I mean, he was going up against guys who I think maxed out at 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, so as we move along, you'll see him get tested, but he was 9 of 10 for 19 points in his first game ever. Uh, Marcus Carr is a name you're going to end up hearing going towards the NBA draft next year. He's Dwayne Notice's younger brother of the Raptors, 905. Okay. He had 35, 6, and 5, something along those lines. Uh, we had a couple of kids from BC on the West Coast play at Cal Baptist, uh, had a really great game, 21 points on, I think, 10 of 21 shooting. Um, you know, I'm going to miss some guys, but uh, just at all, the Delano Banton, 
in at Nebraska is another NBA guy you're going to hear as the year goes on because he's like a six nine point guard that's super long. And wow. we ju- we're just seeing genetics in these players that we've never seen before. So, you know, no longer are we just a point guard heavy country at every different level, at every different position and, and all over all kinds of different conferences. So super exciting. A lot of freshmen, a lot of young guys, and then a lot of guys who really got bit by the NCAA and had to sit out a year for no particular reason but then I think the other big news is is Andrew Nemhard who transferred to Gonzaga um, from Florida for his final year and he was granted a waiver to play right away on that Gonzaga team who I believe was ranked number one heading into the year so yeah you know that's true yeah, so we have guys, we have guys that are going to be competing for a national championship, whatever that looks like this year. And you're right, they are playing down south in the NCAA. Very curious on how that ends up looking as we go along, like we've seen with college football. But they're also playing prep in the U.S. right now too, which is really, really surprising to me considering, you know, everything that goes into that. So I'm really curious to see how this all unfolds. I hope everybody for the best. Uh, continues. And I mean, from, from the North Pole hoop scouting side, we need to see games played. We need to keep pushing our kids along. It's fun to see these NCAA kids do well, but we're doing a lot of work behind the scenes so that the next class, this 2021 class, man, there's going to be such a weird log jam for these kids. We really need to ensure that we give them the right knowledge moving forward to make the right decisions. Yeah. Cause it's going to be an interesting year next year. You know how it happens, guys. It just all gets backed up. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting times all along, but, uh, we're there for the ride and to, to help everybody along. I find Gonzaga to be so irritating. I'm I knew so you were going to say that. I just, I, now we go, now go on from Florida to Gonzaga. Okay. All right, Zags, cut us a check. Okay. If you're blatantly going to, uh, cultivate our, our, our players from our country, cut us a check. We'll give you some players, but you have to give us some money. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, looking at last night, uh, and look, when you just get into it, basically these teams are, you know, it's the first game. So you, you take from it what you will. You know, if you're beating up on McNeese, then that's, you know, uh, which, uh, which happened if, uh, if, although there's, there are a couple of schools. I, one I've never heard of. So it was a division two school, but you know, for me, being kind of versed in this, I kind of thought I've heard them all. I believe it would be pronounced because <clears throat> if I say it wrong, it might sound like a, Oh, here we go. Maybe a female body part in a medical term that isn't very nice. Tuscullum. Tuscullum. And, uh, <laughs> D- division. Tuscullum played Furman last night. And I'm going, Tuscullum. And then I look, it is the oldest, it is the oldest private Presbyterian university in Tennessee that actually is a town in Tennessee, not a medical word for an organ that maybe I shouldn't be talking about. Uh, so that was one. So that, 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 that struck me. The other thing too, and again, it's very, very early, but I, something tells me that I have a feeling that you probably at some point don't want to play Virginia. Virginia, no, yeah. Virginia, we know how they play defense. I mean, if you, if you put up 50 on them, you probably did okay. You probably had a pretty good game if you put up 50, but they were not necessarily prolific when it came to scoring. Hmm. And last night, again, First game, I'm not going to put too much into it, but they really seem to have quite a rhythm offensively. And I thought that is bad news for everybody. If Virginia can score as well as they play defense, that's terrible news for the rest of NCAA basketball because they are so well coached. It is such a good program. Um, and sometimes again, not fun to watch because you're going to watch them like an anaconda 
squeeze off that, where the team probably shoots like 17% for the whole game. It's not a lot of fun to watch because they'll only win. They'll win. They'll win by 10 or 12 points. They won't win by 40. But if they start winning by 40, look out. Yeah, look out. And uh, I do appreciate they got through private Presbyterian, um, which was – I know you guys have been up longer than I have, but that was good. And, uh, and Dave, did you tweet something the other day about uh, baseball stances when yes. you were growing up? Yes. So so some guy, some guy talked about which one did you copy. It was always Julio Franco yes. and Gary okay. Shetfield because Shetfield had the – You're saying that was for you? That was your two? Oh, they weren't my favorite players, but it was my copied. Yeah. It was my copied right. batting stance, batting swing. Why you got well, you, you gonna top me? Well, you you said that with conviction. Yeah, and I didn't reply, but the one that got was Mickey Tettleton. Oh, the Mick, yes. Oh, big time. I know. Well, you right. know what? Before you got on the air, we, Mike and I were talking about this. Uh, Detroit used to be the cable <laughs> Winnipeg would get. So I saw tiger stuff coming out of my oh, yin yang. And I had it that year. They were still there before it changed over when they had Rob Deere, Mickey Tettleton in the lineup. Uh, an older, an older Kirk Gibson wasn't about to leave just yet. And those guys, all they did was hit home runs. Or yeah. strike out. That's it. Yeah. So yeah. and and Cecil Fielder too. Yes. With a little. Yeah. But and, and it was and the great thing about home runs in that stadium was I was just so awesome to watch because I had the big two tier yes. kind of outfield. And, Wish I would have seen a shout, game there. And, and I got a shout out women's basketball. Uh, the score of the night last night: uh, South Carolina number one. Have some Canadians down there as well. Oh, Letitia Emma here. Uh, final score: one nineteen thirty eight. What? Uh, at one and at one <laughs> at one point, I believe. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, so a twenty three ten fourth quarter is what brought that within eighty one points. I'm sorry, Jay. So that game that was a final in overtime. It <laughs> <laughs> was a hell of a five minutes, Mike. A hell of a five minutes. The coach, Make what are the we doing final. out there? <laughs> what are we doing out there? In We're going to take someone off the floor, five on four. <laughs> here's here's the stance that I always. There's a couple for me because I again not a huge, but as a kid. There was there were certain guys that sort of stood out to me. Rod Carew would have been one of them. Yeah, that's Rod, what Stephen Rapp said. Yeah, Rod. Yeah, Carew. that that definitely was one. But the guy that I enjoyed the most that was like, it actually was entertaining. Mickey Rivers. From the Yankees. I don't remember that, no. So when he swung and missed, he also had, he'd flip the bat around like, like, like a, a baton twirler. Like if he swung and missed, then the bat would go like this. And then you catch it and go back. I was like, sounds like somebody making some money there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, I think Mickey Rivers did, but, but he got up there and said, no one makes a swing and a miss. Look as good as he does. It was awesome. Mickey Rivers was one of my favorites. Uh, Jay, thanks so much uh, for this morning. Uh, as I said, you know, it, it, it's funny as we see college basketball, which is kind of cool. You know, you hold your breath a little bit, but it, it's nice to see it. But Javon Shepard, to me, uh, the, the the news of that, talking to him this morning, uh, made my day. Like, it just made my day. That was uh, such good news. Uh, thanks you guys for always up. make my day, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. stop thanks. it. Thanks for the energy. Stop thanks it. for the yeah. energy. Yeah. Anytime. I'm dragging, Anytime. boys. I'm dragging. Okay. November 26th, I'm dragging. Yeah. <laughs> you take care, my friend. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, buddy. Jason Tom, who joins us uh, each and every Thursday. Always a lot of fun. We cover a lot of ground. News Talk Saga 960 is the new home for Raw Mike Richards. Brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products. Also streaming live on Saga960.ca. And now, from the Bell Lifestyle Studio, here's Mike and Dave.
News Talk, Saga 960, Raw, Mike Richards, uh, looking at uh, some of the stories here this morning. Of course, uh, as COVID-19 lockdown, family issues, uh, issues of uh, businesses here in Mississauga, as it is in uh, in Toronto, just so much uh, controversy. There's a lot of hurt over this. But then, uh, and Dave and I talked about this a while ago, and we were saying, you know, I wonder how many people took advantage how many scumbags in the uh in the scumbag world scams you know i wonder how how many got at the uh you know we were at the serb uh, payments yeah there's a story do you see this story unfortunately there's i a, did yeah <clears throat> 11 11 million dollars isn't that dreadful 11 million dollars they worked for the government it was a family so they you know a family did this collectively a family and most of it was were the two hundred and fifty dollar payment variety. The variety was two hundred and fifty dollars. So how much? Look, I'm not doing the math. I couldn't even tell you what that is. Two hundred and fifty dollars majority to make up eleven million dollars. But if you were getting a two hundred and fifty dollar payment to a family, that was for a family that had special needs children. That's who you were stealing from. And when uh, there was a story the other day. And I'm trying to think of which a town it was in. Uh, might have been Uxbridge. Where a senior was getting $3,000 worth of Google Play cards. You know, the, the pay, the pay cards. Okay. And so when she went through, it was a shopper's and the, uh, the cashier's like, is everything okay? Cause she goes, so you look real nervous. And it was early in the morning. Why would she buy, be buying $3,000? Because these, these scam artists who who prey on seniors, and many people might know what I'm talking about, and I I still think it's just incredible that, that people fall for this. But when you're a senior, maybe you don't know. <clears throat> They're telling them that they represent Revenue Canada, and they have to pay them X amount of dollars, but they can only do it in gift cards. In gift cards. So this woman, who's probably for sure as a senior on a fixed budget, is being scammed to go into a store by $3,000 of gift cards because they're just going to send them to this place or whatever. Dreadful. And I look at these people and, you know, I look at what is right and wrong in this world. And I'm like, when you are that far side of wrong, the penalty that I would incur if I was a leader in a city, town, province, nation, you wouldn't want to see what my, my, uh, the, the penalty that I would give these dirtbags. Exactly. Cause they're not, they're not, they're not touching the computer again. Cause it's very difficult to do that when you have no hands. I am for hand chopping, just so you know. <laughs> when it comes to this, I, I think like, there's like, a lot of people listening to this uh, hearing the same thing. There's stuff in the Middle East where you go, wow, that seems severe. Well, you know what? You want to steal? Try stealing with no hands. Just try that. Try doing a phone scam when you can't actually use the phone or the computer. Imagine your grandmother out there. Can we, if you, what would you do if you caught one of these guys? It's oh. like when Kelsey. Remember Kelsey? Yes. Kelsey's, uh, uh, was it a, her cousin, her young cousin, or niece, or I whatever? Was it was yes. cousin. <laughs> who had someone steal all her money so she couldn't go to university even though she worked two jobs to get there. Like, I, 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 I don't understand this world. I really don't. Uh, I got a solution. Just maybe people. News Talk Saga 960 is the new home for Raw Mike Richards. Brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products. Also streaming live on Saga960.ca. And now, from the Bell Lifestyle Studio, here's Mike and Dave.
Talk, Saga 960 Raw. Mike Richards as uh, he will probably get a hold of Scott Morrison at some point. It is Zoom, so in the Zoom world, sometimes you just never really know. As you know, yesterday, as I was saying goodbye to Jim Lawson, uh, <laughs> the power went out in the, my household. Like, uh, it was just sort of weird. I was like, Jim, uh, you know, we wish you the best of luck. And then on my side, it was like, that one scene in one of the Star Wars movies where it goes, yes. What the hell was, what happened? <laughs> it was, it was weird because uh, I don't know if you saw the actual video, but the end, me and Jim are well, kind of sitting there looking at each other. I'm like, I think we lost. <laughs> oh no, I saw that. Jim's like, yes. And, yeah. Okay. That's nice that you, what are you saying now? Uh, and, and look, we don't know the ramifications of, of what happened yesterday. And it may not have been yesterday, just so you know. It may not have been yesterday in terms of, um, what they were hoping to get done with the Ontario government in, in finishing their season. So that we don't know. So we, we wish certainly, uh, Jim Lawson would buy him the best of luck when it came to that. So again, but it may not be, we'll find out, I'm sure, uh, Dan Ralph, I know from CP probably yes. will have something on that, but, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. Uh, it is, uh, 843. News Talk, Saga 960, Raw, Mike Richards, and I see him now, Scott Morrison. And, uh, is this from, is this from, um, it looks like, are you in the south of France? You look, it looks very sunny. It looks very, very decadent. Are you, are you from some fantastic locale? Well, I, I think it's a fantastic locale. I'm deep in the heart of Don Mills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know that part from Joey Tomatoes. So bright in behind. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's great to have you. As it was uh, great the other day to catch up with uh, Rick Five, and and uh, w- when you talk to Ricky, the one the one thing to me is uh, he represents a. Um, you know, there's not a lot of guys like that to me. I mean, he's, he's, I'm not saying the last of a breed, but it's kind of close to me where there was a real accountability about that guy in a time that was very turbulent during the Herald years. And anyone who lived through that, even as a fan, but, uh, you know, uh, as I said, my uncle being Gunner Kinnear, I was maybe a little closer to it as a kid where Harold would call up uh, in Midland and go, where's my goddamn boat? Tell, tell your uncle to get my goddamn boat up. Where's Danny? You know, this, this weird gruffness. It was, it was a circus. It was, it was the kind of day where, where uh, I think Scott, maybe people and younger people wouldn't understand because it's very corporate now where you own all the rights to television and digital. You, you might own two or three teams in that city. It might be a, a giant uh, conglomerate. This was like when guys uh, made money at a car dealership. And next thing you know, they had like a professional franchise. This is just kind of what you did. Harold was of that era and he ran the team the way he saw fit. That wasn't easy for guys like uh, Rick Five. And yet he still managed to, 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 I would say hold a level of professionalism, maybe even beyond his years because he was very young when a lot of that happened, Scott. Yeah, he was 22 when he was named captain, which is far too young as, as we all know. Was it because it was a different time, different than, you see younger players taking leadership roles now. I mean, there were so many veteran players and it was, uh, the thing about Harold is he always had to be in the news. And if things were going well, then he had to get out in front of it. And somehow it was he that was responsible for it and he derailed it somehow. And if things were going poorly, then he would pile on and, uh, he loved his team, but he loved the spotlight even more and, uh, and couldn't help himself ultimately. And, uh, the older he got, the more eccentric uh, he became. But I, I remember working at the I was at the Toronto Sun at the time, covering Ricky and the Leafs back then. And 
I tell you, three, four times a week, my phone would ring around five o'clock and it'd be Harold at my desk. It'd be Harold and he'd say, I've got one for you today. And it just, it's like Unbelievable. he's all afternoon dreaming up stories. Wow. He'd phone you. He would phone you with stories to say, hey, I got something for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, a lot of it, crazy stuff that never saw the light of day. <laughs> That's a different you book. You humor them and uh, away you went, you know. Uh, Scott, yeah, that was, the, you kind of, you kind of alluded to what I wanted to talk about. So you're, you're covering the actual team at the time. So you see Rick, you know, uh, make his way through the eighties with the Toronto Maple Leafs and eventually on to the Blackhawks in that trade. And you hear the stories now, the more of the inside stories from Rick as you kind of dig into this book and you research the book and you interview for the book. Do you connect a lot of dots from your personal, uh, uh, I guess, um, job at that time and then hearing like the inside scoop and only almost marrying the two? Yeah, in many ways. I mean, we knew a lot of what was going on behind the scenes back then because, again, uh, a lot of times other than short trips, the teams didn't charter. So they stayed over after games and uh, obviously were in before games. And so – and. You know, the media circus was much different back then. Toronto was still a, a a big media town, but you had far more access to the players and the coaches and the ability to strike up uh, relationships and, uh, you know, be able to have conversations and find out a lot more about what was happening behind the scenes in the dressing room stuff that Harold would do, um, other things that were happening because there were a lot of characters around Maple Leaf Gardens back in those days, whether it was in the Leafs front office or just in the building, period. But it was a credit to Ricky. And, you know, sadly, those 80s teams, I mean, they had some horrible records. They had a few years where they rose up in the playoffs in the, in the Norris, the old Chuck Norris division yeah. and won a round or two and uh, that sort of thing. But they had a lot of talent on those teams, but as Ricky says in the book, they didn't have the missing pieces, be it the general manager who could get them over the top or the next level of coach that could help get them over the top and that, you know, the, being able to make a deal that could just fill in a, a piece here and there. And back then when you didn't put 18 year olds in right away, unless they were a, a superstar, they had a roster full of them and those poor kids and Ricky was one of them that suffered for being rushed along and having a, a team that was far too young and far too challenged in a market that had a uh, an owner who was was way out there. Uh, we're in conversation with Scott Morrison here on News Talk Saga 960 Raw, Mike Richards. Now, in the book and, and some of the descriptions, when we talked to Rick, we talked basically about uh, on-ice uh, uh, issues. We talked about, you know, what it was, you know, from the athletic standpoint, the, the professional hockey player standpoint. But I think a lot of what those guys of that era went through is so, some of the off ice stuff. I don't think you see it as much. And if you do, it's, it, it is, it's different. Uh, the, 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 it was more a sort of the common man thing. So if there was some frailties, um, you know, you, you saw a lot of guys who, who did not do well off ice. Now, does the, the book contain, um, you know, again, cause we certainly want people to buy the book, but does it deal with any of those kinds of pressures that Rick would have had off the ice? Absolutely. And that, that was one of the catch 22s is you become captain of a team and in many ways you have to lead it on and off the ice. And back in those days, after practices, it was commonplace, um, that players went out en masse for, for lunches that involved a lot of beers. <laughs> and his catch 22 was as captain, he had to lead that charge 
uh, to keep the guys together and sort of be that leader off the ice, but he was putting himself in a situation he really shouldn't have been because of the underlying, uh, you know, alcohol problems. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we do talk about just how different it was then as, as well as those players were paid in the day. It's nowhere. If you tried to do a comparison, there's nowhere close to what no, no. they're paid now. And of course, you know, everything that we see with, uh, nutrition and all the rest of it with players this day, that was much different back then. And so, um, in many ways, teams were much more social because they did hang out together all the time. And, you know, the ultimate irony, I guess, with, with Rick again was he scores the 54 goals and Harold doesn't give him a celebration. There was yeah. nothing. Harold was still PO'd at, uh, because he had given Daryl Sittler the, the silver tea service when he had the 10 point night and he gave Ian Turnbull uh, a similar uh, celebration when he had his five goal night. And of course, neither situation with those players ended well. And Harold was really not very happy about that. And if all of a sudden he just decided, well, I'm not going to do that for players anymore. And so Ricky just kind of had a, well, nice goal. Congratulations. And the, the only real reward he got was a local restaurant. The players used to frequent after practice, uh, offered him 50, 36 ounce steins of beer as his reward for <laughs> scoring goals first in Maple Leaf history. So again, another catch 22. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. Scott, well, we talked a little bit about this with Rick. Uh, and of course you guys get really heavy into the book when he stripped of his captaincy. Uh, is that, is that like when you, when you push that story a little bit further, is that basically the beginning of the end as far as you know, this guy was always uh, going to be traded and somehow Harold was going to make this happen was that kind of the the mark that that you saw covering the team and then talking to rick about it that you weren't sure where he was going but he was probably going to go somewhere because of this yeah i mean i think we all thought at the time and and there had already been some rumors that uh, they had been talking with teams uh, about potential deals which to a lot of us didn't make sense at that time but uh he's your best player and captain prior to that night in minnesota um, but once that weekend unfolded and they took away the C, it felt like Jerry McNamara, the general manager, was pushing, leaning on Harold hard to get Ricky out of there at some point. And, uh, and ultimately that's what happened when he was uh, dealt to Chicago in the fall of, uh, 1987. And it came as a total surprise to Ricky yeah. and his agent, Bill Waters. There hadn't been too, too many whispers at that point, And it was, you know, the Canada Cup was going on. It was just before training camp was started. So, you know, Leaf hockey and NHL hockey wasn't really on the front burner at that point. Everybody was focused on Team Canada. But, uh, yeah, there was a sense that uh, his time was up, and that crushed him. And it still crushes him to this day that, uh, again, coming back to our title, Catch-22, it was an easy one to come up with because as much as, like, he loved being a Maple Leaf and still loves being attached to them, and the history that he had with them, notwithstanding that C. But, you know, you talked about him being honest uh, throughout the book. That was another one. He owned it. He, he apologized to his team. It was an overreaction, I thought, by management yeah. to strip mm-hmm. him of the C, but he owned it. And um, But the catch-22 was he hated losing. He hated seeing those teams struggling the way they were. He hated to see those young players, you know, put in the bind they were. But he loved being a Maple Leaf, so you – can't win for losing sometimes. Yeah. And moving on, as much as Chicago turned out to be a one-year 
great experience. Um, looking back, I, he still regrets that he was he was moved out of town. Oh, I bet, I bet. You know, and again, he and I think it's why he's loved by Leaf fans. Like Leaf fans, you know, uh, look, there's certain categories, and and uh, you know, sort of start at the top, the Dave Keons of the world. But you know, Dave Keon is always going to be one of the Doug Gilmore. Certainly, is going to be one of those guys. And you see, obviously, the uh, the statues at the front. But Rick Vive, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, don't sell him short on terms of uh, of that connection with Leaf fans because I think they kind of felt that. Like there are certain there are certain players that. Uh, and certain athletes and certain human beings where people have an attachment. I think Rick Vive is one of those guys. And, uh, there's, as I said, there's not a lot of that. It's, it's, it's harder these days because you said the, the, the accessibility to these people as human beings now. Well, I, I don't know who Austin Matthews is. I mean, I, I, I have, I have no, it's not a negative. I just don't. I don't know his personality. I don't know uh, really what he's about. Do I really know Marner or any of these guys? I mean, probably Kadri's the last guy I can think of on the Leaf team because he acted, you know, just like a kid off the street. You know, he just, he, he, t- he tell you stuff. He was very off the cuff, which sometimes the team didn't like, but, but, but this doesn't allow for those kinds of individuals anymore. And I think if I'm looking at young captains and, and guys who have that sort of cut from the same cloth, like a Jonathan Taves would probably be one of those guys for me. Like he, he, he does, there is, there is that kind of feeling that I have, even though they call him Captain Serious, there is something very special about him from the moment in the young age that he got to see. Um, the, but, but I don't see a lot of that anymore. And I would think if you're covering a team now, what do you really know? Like what, what do you really talk about? They, Cause they've been talking to the media, some of these kids, uh, Scott, since they were 14, 15 years old, since they've been on world junior teams, since they've been the star in their junior towns, did they speak in those cliches? that the pros didn't learn to much later on in life. And now from a very early age, they really don't give you that much. Well, and, and they're coached. Uh, yeah. They're coached for their skills. They're coached for their hockey playing and they're coached for how they uh, behave and, and talk off the ice and in, in the media's interviews. And as I said before, very seldom. And, you know, I haven't been down to the room for a couple of seasons now, certainly not on any kind of a regular basis, but everything's a scrum. And, Coaches are at podiums all the time. You know, sitting down in the coach's office and uh, having a coffee and being able to shoot the breeze and and talk about the team in that kind of way. Everything's at a podium and everything's in a scrum. And so, yeah, you don't. It's become a, a in some ways a, a much more vanilla league. And you know, you often hear about um, what do you know, the NHL has such a great group of superstar players, and, and they do when you think of the. McDavid's and McKinnon's and Hughes Hayes and on and on the list goes and Matthews and uh, um, but I think we we being the media and hockey fans yeah we need to get to know them a little bit better and I, I think there's been a, a push by the NHL to, under, to understand that and try and make these guys a little bit more get their personalities out there it may not be in media media availability necessarily but certainly in some of their marketing campaigns and advertising and their you know, annual media days where they allow promotional shoots and things like that so I think that's a big part of you know, notwithstanding everything else that's going on in the world right now, the hockey world I think that's going to be a big part of whatever successes they have for they've got to sell these guys to the public 
Well, speaking of successes, I'm sure the book will be uh, the uh, hefty favorite around Christmas time. Um, and and uh, look, as I said, you, you look for subject matter that people are going to want. Uh, this is certainly one of them. So the book is called Catch-22. Uh, it is Rick Vibe at his best and at his worst, probably, if you want to put it that way. Both very Absolutely. old And uh, I look forward to it. Scott went by way too fast, as it always does. Uh, hopefully, uh, again, we don't talk to you before Christmas. Uh, have a great Christmas, as good as we can have. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and a very Don Mills-like, uh, serene surrounding, that, as we all know, very famous The light Don is Mills. shining here, Mike. The yeah. light is shining. <laughs> as it always does on the Morrison household. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that uh, how that works? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. You Great take to care. see you guys, too, yeah. and uh, thanks very much, and uh, be well and be safe, and enjoy your family time at Christmas. Thanks, Scott. That is our good friend, Scott. And uh, once again, the book is called Catch-22. You just got your morning drive back. Raw Mike Richards. Brought to you by Bell Lifestyle Products. On News Talk Saga 960. With traffic on the fives. Featuring the best and most detailed West End traffic in the GTA. Na-na-na-na. Na-na-na-na. Hey, hey, hey. Adios. <laughs>